0: For as long as the temple stood in Jerusalem, three times every year, every Israelite male was required to rock up to the temple for sacrifices and celebrations. Wherever they lived, they had to drop everything and walk. And since Jerusalem is on a hill, no matter where you were coming from, this was a climb. Even if you lived in Jerusalem itself, the temple was built on Mount Zion. Now, a hill within the city so that the final stages of the journey was were always to ascend a series of stairs. Now, for our teaching series that I've named Upward, we will be looking at a collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascents. Psalm 120 is the first one. Now, if you look at the 15 psalms starting there and finishing with Psalm 134, you'll see that every single one begins with that inscription a song of ascent. Now, the word ascent is literally a climb, uh, to climb a staircase, generally speaking to travel upward. Most scholars agree that these 15 songs were the songs that the pilgrims sang or chanted as they climbed up, up, up to the temple these three times every year. Now, as I say, the walk was geographically and literally an uphill trek, but in their culture, just like ours and like probably every culture ever, up means more than simply the opposite of down. It can describe anything from our feelings to enlightenment to progress. For example, success is a ladder that you climb. The best experiences in life of joy or clarity are called mountaintop experiences, while the alternative is to sink to the depths of despair. God is described as living in heaven, which sounds like a magical place, but really, literally, heaven just means in the sky. And these things seem and feel to us self-evident. They're in our bones. And so these songs weren't just the songs of Uh, on the lips of pilgrims thousands of years ago, they are an invitation to all of us to look upward, to reach beyond where we are and to start moving. And so today we start with Psalm 120. I'm going to draw out just two points from the psalm before we try to tease out a few applications at the end. So two points of this, fed up and liars and trolls that, feeling fed up and liars and trolls. First, fed up. Maybe you already noticed that this isn't the most beautiful uh, song. It's certainly not the most uplifting song that you'll ever hear. And as a collection of songs that are supposed to prepare a man's heart to meet with God at his temple, Psalm 120 is, uh, is kind of a strange place to start in a way. I mean, if you flick forward to Psalm 122, it opens like this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, that seems a more obvious place to start, doesn't it? But instead, Psalm 120 begins in verse 1 with distress and ends in verse 7 with war. What is going on? Well, today we are going to come to agree that this is, in fact, the perfect way to begin our journey to God. Let me ask this why do so many people go through years of study or apprenticeships uh, in training for their job? I mean, when you think about the case of a 17 year old just embarking on this journey, three or four whole years, I mean, that's a terribly long time. But there is for them far ahead the promise of a prize. The potential uh, exists for better pay and security and opportunities but then why is it that so many people retrain later on in life? Is it still the promise of what's ahead, or is it something different? Is it just as likely to be the disappointment and disenchantment with what they hope to leave behind? This, the second option, is the starting place of the songs of the sense. We're going up because we're fed up with what's below. There are three words that I'm going to use to summarise Psalm 120, which lead me to talk about feeling fed up. Uh, The words I'm choosing are distress, deliverance, and despair. Verse 1, distress. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Distress can mean anything from overwhelming grief to just a mild case of the blues, but we'll see soon enough that it's the former. This is overwhelming. The person's fed up. Let's dig deeper. verse 2, deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord. Now, this cry to be delivered is the expression of uh, disappointment with the way things are and disillusionment with the status quo. It's a cry for escape because things below are letting us down. Things are not good. So there's distress, there's deliverance, and finally, I'm using the word despair. Verse five Woe to me. Now, the word woe isn't really a word, is it? It's not something you say, Uh, it's a feeling that's been given a sound. You don't say woe, you just feel an inward groan. It's the sound of despair. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're living the best life you can imagine or if your life circumstances are filling you with despair. I don't know if you're the kind of person who just bubbles with endless optimism or the one who prefers to stew in pessimistic gloom. I don't know whether you look at the world around you and see goodness and light in humanity or if you're just perpetually disappointed with mankind. I don't know if you're basically pleased with yourself and your path or if your biggest frustration in life is yourself. But who can't identify at least some of the time with the second half of those equations? Can anybody honestly and sustainably believe that everything is as good in the world as it can possibly be? Is anyone even 100% happy with the path we're on as if we're thinking unanimously that the world is only uh, marching toward progress and improvement? Or are we seeing other things fall behind? Now maybe you're not fed up, but that's where we need to get. We need to abandon all hope in things below so we can begin the upward journey of finding hope above, the only place where it can be found. That's why when we imagine the ancient pilgrims' first steps towards the temple, this psalm actually fits so well. Now maybe your start on the Christian path was just like this. Maybe you began with disgust at the world uh, and with your own life, and you reached out to God in your despair. But let's be honest, it could have been quite different for you. It may not have been as bleak as all that. Maybe it wasn't an existential crisis. Maybe you were just introduced to the logical consistency of Christianity and scripture and slowly watched your previous worldview crumble. It might not have been a particularly emotional journey for you. Probably, like me, you grew up in a Christian home uh, with an infant faith and you're still here today worshipping because you steadily adopted the reason and the hope and the consistency of Christianity. What I'm saying is that despair doesn't have to be the push that gets you walking the path to God. But wherever you begin, despair is a place that we're all destined to revisit from time to time. And this psalm gives you the words and a direction to start moving again on the path of enlightenment. And truth the Christian life is like this isn't it there's ups and downs uh, but we need to uh, we, we need to repent daily say sorry for what we've done and abandon what's behind and keep moving forward and upward. now let's head back to the psalm and dig again uh, into the nuts and bolts of what leads the psalmist specifically to feel so fed up and, and this is my second point I talk about liars and trolls. verses two to four talk about the liars. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now, I reckon this is a cry that every person can relate to, maybe even now more than ever. See, media mistrust is at an all-time high. Have you noticed how everyone is frustrated with the spin and the misinformation coming out from uh, our news sources? Conservatives are up in arms uh, about the pushing of leftist agendas. But on the other hand, progressives are furious about the dangerous reporting from rival news sources. The game that the media plays, trying to get the scoop and be the first with the headlines, I mean, it means that half-researched dross is getting lumped on our plates every day, riddled with half-truths and speculations that that need to be cleaned up later. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Okay, the media is an easy target. Everyone hates the news. What about politicians? Okay, well, no arguments there either. Uh, Empty promises and spin are all too common there as well. Where else do we encounter lies and deceit? How about advertising? So often, advertising is selling you a promise of fulfilment that the products can't deliver. How about philosophy? I mean, they can't all be right. So much of what promises meaning turns out to be empty. So much of our self-help is hopeless. Where else do we find lies and deceit? Look at the workplace, where people compete for careers and either take credit for work they didn't do or slander the people they're competing against so they can get ahead. How about the marketplace where businesses overpromise and under-deliver just so they can secure the deal? Is there anywhere else to find lies and deceit? Well, let's not forget to look within. Are you a liar? Does focusing on the noise of the lies out there allow you the luxury of ignoring the lies within? Do you lie to protect yourself? Have you lied to hurt another person? Maybe you didn't even make up the lie. Be happily believed it and then spread it because it suited your story and your ends. Do you make excuses for your own bad behaviour? That's lying. Honesty at least requires us to own our own faults and repent. Friends, we don't just need to be delivered from the disappointments out there, we need saving from our sins. Verses 3 and 4 talk about the punishment the lion deserves. Verse 3 might sound a little odd, but it's essentially asking this. Uh, what will God do to punish these lies? Let's read it. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And the answer is pretty severe in verse 4. Tongues that lie will be pierced with sharp arrows and burnt with hot coals. That's That's liars. But now we come to what I'm calling trolls. Now, these aren't the guys, the ugly guys that live under bridges. In today's internet culture, a troll is someone who goes out of their way to offend. They don't necessarily even believe the things they say. They're just addicted to causing trouble. Trouble Troublemakers and barbarians is sort of the vibe of verses 5 to 7. Verse 6 says he's surrounded by those who hate peace. Verse 7, he's surrounded by those who are for war. And I think these two verses describe the essence of verse 5, the one before them. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech and dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, Kedar is northeast of Israel, just beyond its bounds. Meshech is roughly the same direction, but much, much further away. The point isn't to pinpoint where the author is living, or even where he necessarily expects the singers of this song will be walking from. Uh, but I think the point is to illustrate the kind of existence living in this world today can feel like, being far away from God's presence and surrounded by his enemies. And, and that is an experience that could just have easily been felt within the bounds of ancient Israel. Israel. You didn't have to go out to Kadar on a Because devout believers weren't always the norm, even in, you know, the the promised land of God's people. Idolatry and greed were just as common then as they are now. The natural inertia of humanity is always away from God. And so at least three times every year, the Israelites were invited to acknowledge the disappointments and frustrations of this life and to again take the first steps upward back toward God. Okay, let's take a few moments just to apply the things we learned from this psalm. First thing I want to say is this, be different. So the psalmist is surrounded by liars and troublemakers, and so are we, but don't be like them. The world is addicted to lies and strife, but we shouldn't be. Now, the Australian cricket team was turned upside down in 2018 uh, by a cheating and lying scandal. You probably remember Sandpaper Gate. Justin Langer was appointed as the new coach uh, and he was commissioned to forge a team with a new identity. One of the slogans he created for the team was this. He called it elite honesty. He described it like this. He said, you can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. So that's elite honesty to yourself. And also, the Aussie way I know uh, is to look a bloke in the eye, look your sister or your mum in the eyes and tell them the truth and be happy to get some truth back. So that's elite honesty. These were Justin Langer's words. But I want to say we must be people devoted to truth. Let's not take Justin Langer's word for it, but let's pursue elite honesty. That means we speak what's true. True. It means we search for what's true. It means today that we don't have to play the media games. We don't have to be the first one out with the story and risk telling something half true or completely false. We have the luxury of being able to sit back, allow a story time to unfold, and then make informed judgments over a period of time. If you read a headline and immediately jump to a conclusion about whether it's true or false or sensational before having read the article and assessed the facts, then you're probably not pursuing truth. You're probably just propping up your own agendas and falling into the same trap you've been accusing the media of. And the world is addicted to outrage. We've been talking about trolls. But we should be different. Even if the world is for war, as verse 7 says, and populated by trolls, we should be for peace. That means trying to be the calming presence when we see hysteria hysteria spiralling. It means adopting a stubbornly loving stance to our neighbours, even if they are persistently unloving. Here's something I've noticed in myself. Sometimes I like to play a game called uh, playing the devil's advocate. It's, uh, you know what it is, it's where you question everything and you throw around curly questions and scenarios to test the strength of assumptions. But very often what we call devil's advocate or playing devil's advocate is actually just a contrived excuse to be a pest, definitely a trap that I've fallen into. Yes, it can be a useful tool to get at the truth by probing but it can also be fun and it can become a little bit too fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, Christians, let's not fall into the trap of causing strife at other people's expense and for our own amusement. So, let's be different. Secondly, this one's much shorter let's enjoy solidarity with Christ. The reason we read the passage from Mark today is to see how this psalm could just as easily be on Jesus' lips. If anyone was surrounded and pursued by liars and trolls, it was Jesus. Wasn't it falsely accused, trying to be accused, uh, trying uh, to be caught out in his words all the time, people trying to make trouble for him, even while he was trying to bring peace? You may well feel fed up with the world, but you are not alone in what you suffer. Jesus fully embodied this world below. Even while we hope for escape and look upward with longing, we can suffer in silent strength by drawing on Jesus' example and friendship. Third point of application, make sure you're fed up for the right reasons. Now this psalm teaches us that disappointment with the world, feeling what I call fed up, is a crucial first step toward God. But I don't want this to give you an excuse to spiritualise your gloom, as if being permanently critical is proof of your superior spirituality. Feeling fed up can be right, but it can also be the product of putting your hope and expectations in the wrong place. Gloom can be the product of self-righteousness, allowing you to be critical of others. Friends, if you expect too much from this world, then you will be disappointed, and that's your mistake. So we need to repent of that. We need to search for satisfaction where it can be found. And let's, in all of this, not forget that there is a lot of good in the world. The fingerprints of a pure and mighty God are everywhere. But having said that, creation is fallen and crumbling. So enjoy the good of the world and of this life. Just don't expect too much from it. My final point is this. Repent. This psalm is the words of a man getting primed for repentance. A man who has lost all hope in the world and is ready to take his first steps upward toward God. Feeling fed up with the world is a crucial step in our pilgrimage. It might be the first step. It will definitely be a step that we need to revisit from time to time, uh, like the Israelites here, maybe three times a year. Repentance isn't just about being sorry or feeling apologetic. It means a change of mind and a total restructure of your priorities and your agendas. So repent. Abandon all hope of finding full satisfaction in this life and take up again your journey upward. Let's fix our eyes on God who delivers. Let's pray. Our Father, it is true that this world is full of liars and troublemakers. And God, it's true that uh, we're not innocent. We've played our part. We are sorry for our sin. We are sorry for our deceit. We are sorry for the strife that we've caused. We pray that you will renew us, forgive us, and make us people who pursue peace for your name's sake. And God, we pray that you will give us the strength from Christ to be different, to rise above uh, the inertia of the crowd, uh, and to be people who pursue truth and peace. Uh, even while others don't. Father, help us to embody uh, what it is to be fed up for all the right reasons. May we abandon all hope and expectations that this world will ultimately satisfy, even as we enjoy the good gifts that you've given us. But let us abandon the high expectations of this world and instead lift our eyes high and upward toward you. Help us today to either take that first step or repeat that step again of looking upward to you for hope in a world that's fallen. Amen.